Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard.
Good morning and a, ha- and a happy Sabbath to each and everyone listening in to our program this morning called The Three Angels Message coming to you live on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Yes, I'm back again. Um, last Sabbath we had a bit of a change around in here, but uh, still they're working on it, but we're back again on the air this morning. First, let us thank God for everything that He had given us um, through the night. He protected us at home, and I thank God for bringing me here safely on to the uh, program this morning. Good morning to all our pastors in all different denominations, uh, and your beloved and the church you are looking after at this moment. Talo falawa, malo lele, and kiorana to each and everyone. Good morning to our pastor Kwan and his wife Helen and the family, and all our church family in Lowat Seventh-day Adventists. This morning we got uh, our speaker, Tiff Sutherworth, and his thought is, what are the three heavens? What are the three heavens? You'll find that in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. That will be his thoughts based on that Texas in Second Corinthians chapter twelve verses one to ten. And again, good honor to everyone listening in to us. I thank you all for tuning in this morning uh, to our program uh, this morning. I won't talk much because this message may maybe not enough time for to put on the on the air this morning, but I'll try to put all the text, all the message on the program this morning. Just say a message to all our Adventist church in Lovehead. Our church is open today. Uh, we're back to normal again. Thank God for for that. Um, our Sabbath school starts at 9.30 in the morning. And the main service starts at 11 a.m. this morning. So all our Adventist families... You, you still can watch on uh, live stream, but we back to the full uh, church uh, this morning. Let's put everything in God's hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity that you have given us this morning. Thank you for guiding us through the night that we slept and uh, come to this morning. You woke us up in a good spirit. Father, thank you also to bring me here safely this morning. I pray, Lord, that the message this morning I prepare for us that will go through the air and to all our families out there, all our friends and all those who are listening to the program this morning, wherever they are, I pray, Lord, that you guide them through the message for us this morning. Be with our speaker and give him that strength to bring the message for us um, this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your love. I pray and ask, pray and ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. I pray, Amen. On the subject of what are the three heavens, I had a question that came in from a passage of scripture that uh, is oftentimes confusing to students of the Bible and the mention of a third heaven and wondering if there's a third heaven, is there a first heaven, a second heaven, a third heaven, and so on. 
And so we're going to, in our study today, answer five questions. And the five questions that I'm going to endeavor to explain to you from the Bible, question number one, does the Bible teach that there's more than one heaven? Question number two, why did the Apostle Paul refer to a third heaven in a passage I'm about to read. Question number three, is there a difference? And I'm often asked this. Is there a difference between paradise and heaven? Are those two separate locations and what does the Bible say about that? And then I'm also going to address a question that just came in a few days ago. An individual had been watching someone on social media who was talking about traveling from earth to heaven and getting messages from God, returning uh, with these revelations. And so I felt like I need to, on this subject, address, is it possible for ministers or believers to travel back and forth from earth to heaven and get personal revelations from God? And if so, how do we discern that? And then one more question we're going to answer in this Bible study. Does God really live in heaven? Uh, if there is a heaven, what does the Bible define as heaven? And if that locale is biblical, is that God's official address? Is that the abode of God? Does God live in heaven? And uh, does he live in the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven? All kinds of confusing questions often on this subject. And so today let's open our Bible to 2 Corinthians and the 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians and the 12th chapter. And let's go down beginning at verse 1 and read down through verse 10. And I'm reading today out of the New Living Translation. Now we're going to be reading in this passage Paul's explanation of one of the many visions that he had. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven. Highlight that. First time in the Bible we read about a third heaven. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Verse 3. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Wow, is that truth that we sure could use a fresh baptism of in modern ministry. 
He said, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Pause right there. I do have an upcoming Bible study because this is a very important question, often asked question, and many times poorly taught and improperly interpreted. Let me just state this up front. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not a sickness or a disease or an infirmity, and it oftentimes is taught as that. Let me repeat that. If you want to put it in your notes, we're going to come back to it in a dedicated Bible study that's entitled, What Was Paul's Thorn in the Flesh? But let's be absolutely clear. It was not a sickness, a disease, or an infirmity. How do we know that? Just by reading on. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Uh, That word messenger translated in our modern English Bibles from the original Greek is angelos. And in 100% of the proper renderings of that Greek word, both here and in other places, it always referred to a person, never one time a sickness, disease, or infirmity. So I repeat, and again we'll come back to it in a dedicated teaching Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness, disease, or infirmity. Verse 8, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. An incredible amount of information to unpack in that passage But today in our Bible study, let's focus upon what are the three heavens. And before we begin to teach, let's take time to pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for another day and for life and for health and for strength. Everything we have has come from your gracious hand and we give you praise. And so now we humble our hearts in your holy presence And ask that you would lead us and guide us into the truth of God. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, that you'll allow us to communicate and make clear the truth of God to every single life and listener. There are multiple needs represented in all of the thousands of people who will listen to this teaching, both live and in the days ahead. I pray that even as they're listening, that the presence of God would speak to them and help them. 
I pray specifically for those who may not know where they stand with God, that today might be their hour of decision where they turn their back on sin and turn their heart to Christ. May all who hear this minister be ready to meet the Lord. And when the invitation is given at the end of this study, I pray that you would give people the courage and the faith to do what they ought to do. And we'll be careful to give you praise, for we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, your only begotten Son, and our soon coming King. And all God's people said a big Amen. Uh, in some translations that you may have, because I realize that uh, our listeners have various translations, many of you English translations of the Bible, others of you from foreign countries, perhaps in your native language. But in many translations, we read Paul stating about this particular vision, I know a man in Christ. Now, Paul was not speaking about somebody else. Uh, this is Paul's characteristic, unusual humility. Paul, as you read all of his letters, was uniquely humble. And even in this passage, we read about him uh, refusing to boast in things that other quote-unquote super apostles were boasting about. Paul always leaned on the side of true Christ-like humility. May God always help you and I to do the same. But we know that Paul was the man because verse 7 uh, clearly identifies him as the individual who had this vision. But as we study this biblical passage of the Apostle Paul being caught up into the third heaven, there are a few things that stand out. For example, he was clear as to where he was taken. As far as in the vision, where did he go? On that he was clear. There was no confusion. He said, quote, I was caught up into the third heaven, end quote. And so the location of the vision was clear, the third heaven. However, he was uncertain as to whether it was just his spirit man that was taken up in this vision or whether it was his body and his spirit that were caught up in this vision because he mentions it twice. He mentions that uncertainty uh, both in verse 2 and in verse 3. Take a look at it. He said, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. But because of the certainty of where he was caught up, there's no doubt about that. And the reason I emphasize this is because I've heard some unlettered teaching that their mistake is in not knowing the difference. He was clear, I repeat, he was clear as to where he went. I was caught up into the third heaven. And so by the general law of deduction, we then can ask that if there is a third heaven, where is the first and where is the second heaven? I do want to pause to give you some warning about false teaching on this passage. 
because if you're a student of the Bible and you endeavor to listen to Bible teaching, I always warn you, be careful as to who you listen to. Just because somebody figured out how to go live does not mean they were anointed to do so. And I constantly say, I would like to be a trusted voice in your life for learning the Bible and in particular understanding end time events and Bible prophecy and eschatology that we spend a great deal of time upon. But for those of you who are new students, there is teaching that interprets this that there are three different levels of heaven. And the teaching in a nutshell, and I'm not going to give it a lot of time and attention because it doesn't deserve it. This is only a warning, not a theological debate. And the warning is, there are not three levels of heaven. There are not three levels of heaven for believers. And this is what they usually teach. They'll teach that there's a high level of heaven for those who were the overcoming believers. But there's a second level of heaven for those who were not faithfully overcoming Christians and then there is a lesser level of heaven for those Christians who did not serve God faithfully. And so let me be very clear. In heaven, if you are born again, if you make it into heaven through salvation, by the grace of God, through the repentance of sin, through the receiving of Christ, and Christ alone in heaven, we are not going to be divided into various classifications. There is not a heaven for the overcoming Christian, another heaven for the middle-of-the-road Christian, and another heaven for the carnal Christian. That simply is not a biblical teaching, and any teaching that infers that is not just poor teaching, it's heresy. So please make note of that. I also need to warn you about another thing because it seems like in these last days there are more and more false prophets, false apostles, false ministries who are sadly uh, lost in things that are not found anywhere in the scripture. And one of the trends is this increasing number of people whether they're doing it to gain social media audience, I'll not judge. But know this, one day when they stand before God, He will judge. I've heard people say, stop judging me, only God can judge me. Well, that should put a fear in your spirit because that's exactly right. One day you're going to stand before God and be judged. And all of your life, your motives, your actions, even every idle word will stand before the analysis and the examination of Almighty God. But there are people, and it just seems like there's more now than ever before, their ministry is based upon an experience they had in hell, or their ministry is based upon an experience that they had in heaven, or as one very popular individual who has now fallen and disgraced, his whole ministry was based upon that he... Uh, transported from earth to heaven where God gave him an angel and the angel gave him messages and he would preach and people traveled from all over the world 
to hear him preach in Florida, and he was on all of the major evangelical circuits except for people who had discernment and knew better. But with time it came out that he was a charlatan and a fraud. It came out that he had a history of being a pedophile. He was a coke addict. He had committed adultery. He had left his wife. And it just got worse and worse. But he had a massive following for a period of time claiming that he was getting visions from his angel. And he even uh, said, uh, my angel's name that meets me in my hotel, uh, her name is Emma, which should have been a clue uh, that he was absolutely nuts to begin with. But because people don't know their Bibles, they fall for that. So listen very carefully before I get into the meat of the teaching. Any ministry who claims to be transported back and forth from earth to heaven and they're receiving personal revelations from God that cannot be supported by the scriptures, you should run from those ministries like the plague. They are false prophets. They will not be in heaven. They will spend an eternity in hell for God is very careful Anyone who adds to or takes away from this book, now that's found in Revelation, and some people would say, well, that only applies to Revelation. No, that was the standard for Revelation, and since Revelation is a part of the canon of Scripture, it is equally true that it is God's standard for the entirety of the Bible. Anyone who adds to these words or takes away from these words, or ignores these words, or claims to have personal revelations from God, either from experiences in heaven, or from experiences in hell, or some type of angelic manifestation, know that you're dealing with a fraud and a charlatan exclamation point. I hope I've made that clear. Everything God wants you to know about heaven is revealed in the Bible. Everything you need to know about heaven is already in the Bible. And as for the rest, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, I believe it's also verse 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord. And so we should not be spending a whole lot of attention trying to reveal secret things and things the Bible said are a mystery. There's enough truth in the Bible, reading it with your eyes and seeing blatantly what God intended through the original authors to get you from where you're at to where you need to go. So with that said, a true man or woman of God, and uh, some of you might need to write this down if you're a new believer, but a true man or woman of God is not marked by visions and revelations, and angelic appearances. And I'm not denying that some of these things happen. I'm just saying that that's not how you evaluate the fruit of a ministry. A ministry, a true man or woman of God, is marked by Christian character, is marked by the tenure of their battle in the battle in warfare for the kingdom of God and for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, is marked by Christ-like attitude, is marked by genuine humility, is marked by a true passion for souls, 
and listen carefully and is marked by how accurately they handle the sacred scriptures when they present and when they teach the eternal truth of God. Question number one, what is the first heaven? If you're taking notes, what is the first heaven? In the Bible, the first heaven refers to the earth's atmosphere. And in some theological circles, they refer to this as the atmospheric heaven. Uh, In Meteorology 101, you would learn that the atmosphere above the earth is divided into five classifications. And there's a graphic there for you to take a quick look. And uh, I'm not a meteorologist, but this is just common knowledge that there is first what is called the troposphere. And that extends from the face of the earth to seven miles above the earth. Then this layer called the troposphere provides the oxygen that we breathe, keeps earth at a livable temperature, and allows for weather to occur, making it a very important part of the total atmosphere. And so if you'd like, at a later time, you can hit pause and study that graphic. But did you know that the Bible actually spoke of this? The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament knew about the fact of this first heaven before meteorology was a field of study. Let me show you that in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55. If you have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 55. And go down to, uh, I believe it's verse 10. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 10. There the prophet Isaiah said, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. He was referring to the first heaven. Then we not only have the troposphere, we have the stratosphere, which extends 30 miles above the earth, the mesosphere, which extends 53 miles above the earth, the thermosphere, which extends 435 miles above the earth, and lastly, the exosphere, which extends 500 miles above the earth, and we often refer to those levels in meteorology, they're called the atmosphere, but they're addressed in the Bible. And the first heaven in the New Testament is referred to, let me uh, take you to at least one passage in the New Testament, the book of James in the New Testament, and go down to chapter 5, And verses 17 and 18. There James recorded, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky, and you can highlight the word sky, sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Uh, The word sky from the New Living Translation in James chapter 5 and verse 18 in the original Greek is oronos. 
And uh, I don't expect you to take notes on the Greek, just letting you know that the New Testament manuscripts that we have our modern English translation from were rendered from the Greek. And the word translated sky that I read to you in the Greek is oranos. And it literally is the same word that is translated in other places as heavens or in other places as air. Uh, We also have mention of this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. The Bible speaks about Satan and his demons having power in the air. And so this is actually where, listen carefully, Satan and demonic activity, all of the wickedness, all of the ungodliness, All of the sin, all of the perversion that you see on planet earth is a result of Satan and the fallen demons who reside in the first heaven, which is the atmosphere. And so the Bible tells us that there was a great war in heaven and Satan, along with one third of the angels, was cast to the face of the earth. And so Satan... And all demon spirits that we wrestle against, that's why the Bible teaches concerning spiritual warfare in the book of Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, wickedness, demonic influence, powers in high places. All of Satan's activity and all demonic activity is relegated to the first heaven. Now, that's a Bible study in and of itself, and we do have teaching and series in our uh, YouTube channel on demonology as well as angelology. We'll get back to that at a later time. Question number two, what is the second heaven? The second heaven is sometimes called in theological circles as the celestial heaven. We have the atmospheric heaven, and then the second heaven is the celestial heaven. This second heaven refers to outer space or the stellar heaven, and it includes the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars, and it is called the second heaven or the celestial heaven. People say, well, is that found anywhere in the Bible? Well... If you followed any length of time, you know that I wouldn't teach something that I couldn't back up with Scripture. Uh, How many times have you heard me say that we start in the Bible, stay in the Bible, and finish in the Bible? So let's locate that. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy and the fourth chapter and verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. And so God rules over the stars, the constellations, the sun, the moon, all of which played a very significant role in ancient religious practices. But did you know 
that as a part of God's wrath and as a part of God's judgment, in a period of time called the tribulation, now you've heard me teach on prophecy, the next major prophetic event is an event called the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church is a seven-year period of time called the tribulation period. And the wrath and the judgment of God during the seven years of tribulation is going to be so severe that Jesus said that if God the Father had not shortened the days that none could survive. But many people have never been taught that the second heaven, the celestial heaven, where the constellation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the second heaven is actually going to be an apocalyptic part of the wrath and the judgment of God during the tribulation period. Uh, let's go into the Old Testament book of Isaiah and let me uh, support that for you. Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. The Bible said, the heavens, this refers to the second heaven, the celestial heaven. How do you know that? Let's read on. The heavens will be black above them. The stars will give no light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will provide no light. Pause right there. Here we know it's the second heaven, the celestial heaven, because it identifies the location by the planets. Let's read on. Verse 11. I, the Lord, will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their sin. I will crush the arrogance of the proud and humble the pride of the mighty. I will make people, highlight this, I'll explain it. I will make people scarcer than gold, more rare than the fine gold of Ophir. Now what does that mean? Well, tragically it means exactly that. During the tribulation period, the wrath and the judgment of God, all of the apocalyptic events that are coming on the earth after the rapture are going to be so severe that it will diminish the earth's population to where humanity, the Bible said, will be scarcer than gold. Now, gold is not scarce in the sense of uh, there's only a nugget here and a nugget there. There's a lot of gold on the earth. But it's a comparison that tells us that the population of the earth will be severely diminished during the tribulation period and a part of what will eradicate such a large portion of humanity upon the earth will be what God is going to do in the second heaven with the planets. The planets, the sun, the moon, the stars have great impact upon the livability of this planet. We've all seen or heard of Hollywood movies where a comet from uh, that second heaven 
strikes the earth and wipes out. And there are many scenarios, and I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen, but I am saying that the Bible is very clear that over half of the world's population is going to be eradicated through mass judgments, plural, mass judgments, wars, pestilences, natural disasters, an increase of the shaking of the world, earthquakes, the Bible said, that will level every mountain, hailstones that will weigh in excess of 75 pounds and so on. And a lot of the natural disasters that will occur on the face of the earth during the tribulation period are related to God radically using and radically changing the planets in the second heaven. Verse 13, For I will shake the heavens, the earth will move from its place, when the Lord of heaven's armies displays his wrath in the days of his fierce anger. Let me show you one more prophetic passage pertaining to this second heaven. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 prophesied an apocalyptic event that will take place in the second heaven during the tribulation as well. Go down to verse 29. Matthew chapter... 24, verse 29, immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky. There's that word again, sky, from the Greek, oronos. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And so it seems like that the planets are going to be weaponized and stars, whether it be large comets or small comets or raining comets, or uh, we can't speculate as to how many or how big. All we know is that the planets are going to be weaponized for judgment from the second heaven during the tribulation. And then lastly, what is the third heaven? The third heaven, if you're taking notes, let me give it to you simplified up front, and then we'll talk about it from the scripture. The third heaven is the abode of God. The third heaven in the Bible always refers to where the presence of God is, the dwelling place of God, which will eventually be the dwelling place of believers as well. 2 Peter 3 tells us that in the aftermath of God's wrath and judgment, that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth where everyone is right with God. And so in our text, the apostle Paul said that he was suddenly snatched up, caught up into the third heaven. Now, some of you that have been longtime students of mine, when you hear me say that Paul said he had been caught up into the third heaven, some of you recall a teaching that I've done on the seven raptures in the Bible. The upcoming rapture, the next major prophetic event, the rapture of the church at the end of the church age, is not the only mention of a rapture in the Bible. There are actually seven raptures mentioned in the Bible, and this is one of the seven. 
Paul said, I was caught up. And of course, that's in our English translation. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 2, Paul said, in this vision, I was caught up. Now, he didn't know whether it was just in spirit or in body or spirit, but he was clear as to what happened. He said, I was caught up. And the word caught up is the exact same Greek word, herpazo, which we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that talks about the coming rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 4, when we read about Jesus Christ appearing in the clouds, the sound of the trumpet, and the church being caught up, the dead in Christ rise first, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, exact same Greek word, herpazo. Now, I'm not going to take time to teach on the rapture, but people I'm sure are going to ask, there's no word rapture in the Bible. Well, it's taken from this phrase in our modern English Bible, caught up, from the Greek, it's herpazo, from the Latin Vulgate, it was rapio, which is the root of the word rapture, which is why in most sound theological circles, they refer to that event as the rapture. But if the word rapture offends you, and uh, you're one of those theological police that say, I can't find the word rapture in the Bible, therefore it's not in the Bible, well, don't say that in front of a crowd of people, you'll embarrass yourself. It comes from the word rapio from the Latin, oftentimes called the rapture of the church, or the catching up, and it's the exact same word that Paul used in this vision. 2 Corinthians 12, let's read it again for emphasis. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, I was caught up to the third heaven, caught up, highlighted, 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. This brings us to another important question that has been asked of me multiple times. Are paradise and heaven synonymous? Or are paradise and heaven the same locations? Well, we just look at our text, and as I have taught you on multiple occasions, when we interpret the Bible, we don't just look at text. We look at text within context, and we analyze context to the full letter or to the full narrative, and even compare it to other teaching in the Bible, because if it's the truth of God, it will never be violated in another book. All of the truth of God is in paralleled harmony and perfection. But Paul's parallelism of the two phrases, the third heaven in verse 2, and then he mentions paradise in verse 3, requires that paradise is equated with heaven. So in this context, Paradise and heaven are the same. So if you're taking notes, paradise and heaven in this context are the same. Now the only exception to this, pay attention, the only exception to this 
is that the Garden of Eden, in some Bible translations, you will find in Genesis the word paradise. But it's easily discerned, again, by the law of text, context, and narrative. When it's speaking of the Garden of Eden and it's called paradise, well, in context, you know it's talking about Eden. But throughout the remainder of the Bible and in the New Testament, paradise and heaven are the same thing. And let me just layer a little knowledge on that that I think many of you as students of the Bible would enjoy knowing. The Persian word from which the Greek word translate, translated paradise is derived means beautiful walled garden. That's what the word has root in, beautiful walled garden, which is why it was used in Genesis in some translations as paradise because it was the Garden of Eden, a beautiful walled garden. But in context here with Paul, he's speaking about heaven because the greatest honor, the greatest honor that a Persian king could ever offer to one of his subjects was an invitation to walk with him personally in the king's walled garden in intimate fellowship, which already many of you, your analytical wheels are churning because this is what heaven is going to be about. When we are raptured, when we are taken eternally to be with the Lord, Jesus said in John's gospel, I go to prepare a place for you, but if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That was Christ talking about the invitation to one day walk in intimate fellowship in the garden of the King of Kings and to be eternally in the presence of God. There is no mistake as to where Paul's location was referring. He was caught up into the third heaven, which is the abode of God. The third heaven, if you want to write this in your notes, the third heaven, or paradise, because they're synonymous, is the home of God where one day we will walk with Him in intimate and eternal fellowship. I dare somebody out there to say, praise God, and may you be ready. Scripture teaches us that there is a certain geographical place that God resides. Now, obviously God is omnipresent, and you can't relegate Him to just one physical location. But as far as the home or the abode of God, the scripture is clear, it is not on earth, it is not in the second heaven, it is taught in the scripture as the third heaven. And we read about that multiple times in the Bible. In 1 Kings, when we read of Solomon's prayer of dedication, after he had finished building the first temple, Solomon's temple, uh, well, let's, let, let me take you there. It's so important. I want you to have it highlighted in your Bible. First uh, Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. 
And then go down to verse 27. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon knew that God could not be contained by a temple built by mere men. He knew that God's domain was in heaven. Let's go down a little further. 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's look at verses 38 and 39. And highlight these in your Bible. Verse 38, And if your people Israel pray about their troubles, raising their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. Verse 39, highlight that. Hear from heaven where you live. The Bible tells us God lives in heaven. The author of the book of Hebrews said that Christ also is in heaven, seated in a place of honor beside the throne of God in heaven. Uh, Let me take the time to show you that as well. Let's go back into the New Testament into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. Highlight it again. God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship, that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So God the Father and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who after His sinless life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, the Bible tells us that He ascended into heaven and took a place of honor at the right hand of God as I speak. The abode of God, the residence of Jesus Christ are in heaven and the third heaven. So in conclusion, what are the three heavens? The first heaven is the atmosphere that surrounds the earth and plays such a vital role in the sustaining of humanity and wildlife and all of the systems that exist on our planet earth. That is the first heaven, and as was mentioned, it is not only the habitation of humanity, sadly it is the habitation of Satan and the fallen angels who operate in the first heaven, the atmospheric heaven, number one, here on the earth. The second heaven is the celestial heaven, Dear our friends, we come to the end of our program. I'm sorry to apologize that uh, the rest of our um, topic this morning you won't fit into the time that they gave us. So I'll be back again next next Sabbath, next Saturday morning to bring another um, topic of the second of this um, topic this morning. But I want to go back into that text again in uh, Second Corinthians chapter 
12 verse 2, as it read, because this is the main topic this morning, as it read, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was... program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.